LF podcast, where we're focused on fashion, fitness, and of course food. This podcast is all about bringing these three parts of your life together to help you get the most out of your passions. We're here to help you look your best, feel great, and also indulge in some maybe not so hidden temptations. <laughs> we are by no means experts in any of these fields, but we do hope to bring people to the show who know what they're talking about and can help you with some of these aspects of your life. You only live once, so why not live a life worth living? On the show today, we have Colin Berg, co-founder of Simply Native Foods. Simply Native Foods fuels adventure and healthy lifestyles with most simple and nutritious ingredients. They use exclusively plants and indigenous to North America to make ancient foods for modern times. Their family strives to honor tradition while adapting for the future. Whether you're running a farm, like they were, running a marathon, or raising a family, they know you will enjoy these uncommonly good Simply Native foods. Start the morning right with nourishing goodness of Simply Native quick-cooking wild rice hot cereal packed with protein and antioxidants. Simply Native's wild rice, a roasted grass kernel, is harvested in Minnesota. Each morsel is carefully cultivated in your enjoyment. So enjoy this episode with Kallenberg of Simply Native Foods. So, Colin, tell us what you do with one of your senses. Awesome, thanks. Um, so, I am a co-founder of Simply Native Foods, where we make ancient foods for modern times, and that means innovating with indigenous plants native to North America. Um, we make uh, delicious, wholesome meals uh, for outdoor enthusiasts. Fantastic. How did you get into this line of work? Have you always been in the food company, in the food industry? What kind of was like uh, your jump into this? Yeah, uh, great question. <laughs> Basically, it starts uh, as a little boy. I grew up on a organic grass-fed beef farm in northwestern Wisconsin, closest to River Falls, Wisconsin, and um, grew up in just a very, very, uh, what we call nowadays, foodie family, um, but that just means you know, working on the farm, parents who uh, cared a lot about what they ate, what they fed us. Um, and a father who worked in the uh, organic food industry for 30-plus years. And so um, over the course of the last three years, which has really been kind of the uh, conception point of Simply Native Foods, um, I've been actually started with the company by writing the first business plan in my senior year of college at UW-Madison. Um, and that business plan was for uh, the same product and concept, but... Uh, preceded the company by about a year and a half, meaning that we actually got the, com- the product going just about uh, one year ago. So um, been around from the very start, co-founded it with my uh, my dad, Prescott Berg, my mom, Juliet Tompkins, and my brother, Cameron Tompkins Berg. So we're a family-run business and um, just about a year, year and a half old. So how did you guys kind of decide that you were going to do a family business. I know a lot of people say, don't work with friends, don't work with family. But then of course, <laughs> you're like, oh, my, my, my dad works for a family business. Pretty much, it's a manufacturing company outside of Madison. And uh-huh. you go there and like half of you are uh-huh. related somehow. But then like starting startups, you're yep. like, oh, friends, family. Like I've actually like, worked with startups That's where right. two friends just had issues communicating mm-hmm. because they like, couldn't make decisions. Like, oh, we're friends, so I don't want to make him mad. It's like, well, it's just like business, so you have yep. to like make this decision. Someone's gonna be right, someone's gonna be That's wrong, right. or things of that nature. 
That's right. Yeah, um, that's actually kind of funny. I, uh, in a previous role, I've worked for the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation out of Kansas City, a foundation of entrepreneurship. And on the research team there, uh, read and did enough research on basically uh, what I found out is to not work with friends or family. <laughs> um, it made large studies that actually does show to be raising difficulties over um, any benefits it does gain as an aggregate, not for individual cases, of course. Um, but I, I decided not to follow that advice and still did it anyway, as, as many people do. Um, but basically, decided it by, you know, grew up on a farm, so we've already been kind of working together for at least, uh, you know, two, one, two decades. Um, so already kind of been in business together in some form, you know, grew up moving the cows from pasture to pasture, building fences and whatnot, and kind of taking orders from uh, the boss, my mom. <laughs> um, so kind of felt that, you know, there had already been these pre-existing um, work relations outside of just the personal relations, and um, so that was not something that we were too hesitant of, and I'll say a year and a half later um, have not caused any issues um, whatsoever, so that's been really positive. But we decided to go into business together, um, basically, the conception of it was that, uh, you know, running a farm, we were always looking for uh, food that would keep us filled throughout the day, and especially for uh, breakfast. So um, growing up in Wisconsin, it gets pretty cold in the winter, as you know yourself. Yes. <laughs> and we were always looking for, you know, hot, hot meals, hot cereals to go and kind of just got bored of oatmeal and playing around with oatmeal in the thousand different ways that you can. And so started playing around the different um, base grain, such as wild rice, and um, found this just really delicious combination of wild rice with uh, native berries, and then we tossed in some pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds. Um, it was blended really well together, but also it really kept us full throughout the, full, the whole morning. So like four or five hours of being outdoors in the cold. And it just kept us full. It was really delicious, hearty. And so um, after, you know, a year or so of kind of just sharing that with family and friends and having great feedback, um, we decided, you know, hey, not, hey, what not, like, you know, let's look into this as a actual business opportunity around the concept of creating these delicious, wholesome meals out of ingredients, out of plants that are indigenous to North America. Um, so kind of saw as, a, as an empty space in the, in the market because there have been um, a number of superfoods uh, discovered from around the world, such as uh, acai berries or a number of these that kind of have now become come up kale, being another good instance here. Um, they've, they've been branded and brought here and are sold in almost every single health food store or health restaurant. Um, and we realized that, you know, there's a number of, of these plants that are native here to North America, but are not even really well known by Americans, um, nor are they really that accessible, even if you did want to get them. And so saw that as a huge um, gap in the market and uh, decided to give it a shot and make, make that all about what we do. So your business model is a little bit different than most people in the world. They think, oh, I see something out there that I can fix or make better, and they go out mm -hmm. and do it. You guys saw more. There's a need out there that we can fill. Do you feel that's that directly correlated to your success? Or yeah. Kind of a lot of things are also at bay here. Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. Um, we kind of found like a, what we, I would say like, like a gap here and an opportunity, and um, no one else is really fulfilling. So the 
need that we're fulfilling is uh, gets a little bit more into the social side of our business. Um, so we're a 1% company, uh, which means that we donate 1% uh, of our annual sales uh, to a nonprofit uh, as kind of ensuring that we're having a social element to our company, but also fulfilling on the uh, social need, and that is that we're um, still aligning the partner to work with, but we're very, very much interested in working with a partner organization that is working on food sovereignty issues for Native Americans. Um, and so that kind of connects and ties our interest in, in these indigenous plants to um, helping and assisting people uh, such as Native Americans on reservations or, or not, um, you know, cultivate more of these crops and actually be able to get them to themselves, but also, you know, kind of bringing back this culture uh, for Native Americans. And so um, there's kind of, a, a, you know, the, the opportunity, but also the need that we're really working fulfilling here. So where can people kind of purchase this? You said this is for like outdoor enthusiasts. So yeah, yep. like are, are people just, you know, coming to your farm to pick this up, right? What's the best way <laughs> for people to get a hold of this food? Yeah, great question. So we are currently um, doing online sales through Amazon and our website, simplynativefoods.com. Um, and then we are at a handful of outdoor retails, uh, outdoor retail shops kind of just sprinkled across the country. Um, so the primary best fare right now is online. We're also, for those in Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm located, we're in the three Willie Street co-ops, uh, northwest and east. Um, but right now, for most people, it is best to go online. And actually, the new year will be um, one of my top goals is to get into a large number of independent and then uh, future national outdoor retail outlets. So people where places where people who are looking for um, food to take in the outdoors or to prepare their bodies to be in the outdoors, uh, places where people like that would be going to shop for their, their food. So every company, business model, et cetera, has to have some sort of competition. You mm -hmm. mentioned that like, you guys kind of came up with this and you saw a gap being replacement of oatmeal or, or a cold breakfast. What yep. would be like your competitors in the, the market space at this point? Yeah, so um, we have, with our new focus, with our, this is a new focus on outdoor enthusiasts, we have, I'd say, fewer direct competitors because there are not a ton of food companies that are specifically focusing on outdoor enthusiasts. And the ones that are, are primarily either doing one of two things. One, making bars. Um, as you've probably noticed in food, being in food, there are just about a million new bar companies popping up every day. Yes. Um, can barely keep track of them myself. Um, or two, they are making these uh, very nutrient-dense but very processed foods. And so that would be the ones like Mountain House or uh, Backpackers Pantry where you have about you know, 30 ingredients on your list and there's tons of additives or, or compounds that they have in there that are not recognizable to my eye nor to most. And so and they're also very, very high in sodium. And so um, not to myself something I want to be eating really ever, if not, definitely not on a regular basis. So we're really kind of somewhere in between where there's some of these bar companies that are certainly using you know, wholesome, clean, really nutritious um, ingredients. Um, but not so much doing meals uh, or you know, full, um, yeah, full meals. And there's then these other companies that are doing specifically just for um, outdoor enthusiast meals, but they're like 
just loaded and chock full of crap. <laughs> um, I mean, they are you know filling, which is great, but if you're wanting to feel good about your body and also um, about the planet and you know, kind of where your food's coming from, it's a it's a lot more questionable. So we fall in between, and there's maybe you know one other company, maybe two other companies I know that are doing a similar concept to us, um, and they're located, I believe, in Maine and like Utah. Um, which is exciting to see. Honestly, I, I am prefer seeing people that are kind of, you know, filling the market need uh, at least a few rather than no one because, as we all know, breaking into brand new ground is, is probably the hardest job of all. So yes. it's, it's a bit encouraging to see, you know, some competition there. And so, like, how do people actually prepare this food? So, like, I guess just walk us through the exact mm -hmm. product itself. So yeah, it's specifically yeah, high rice and fruit yep. both. Yeah, exactly. So um, just to start with, we basically sell most of our product in these um, six-ounce pouches, which is three full servings, three full meals. And uh, those pouches, um, all you have to do is unzip it. It's a resealable pouch. Uh, pour half a cup into a pan, um, and then you add half a cup of water, so it's equal parts. You can cook it on the stovetop microwave, um, and all you have to do is just turn it on high. Uh, it takes about eight minutes to cook. Maybe you give it one stir if you're doing it on the stovetop to make sure it's cooking evenly, microwave unit's let alone, and then pull it out, let it sit for a minute, and it's all set to eat. Um, and in our products, we have uh, just four ingredients. We have two different flavors. So for the pumpkin flavor, we have wild rice, blueberries, cranberries, and pumpkin seeds. For the sunflower uh, flavor, we have wild rice, blueberries, cranberries, and sunflower seeds. Um, and then finally, uh, the final method to cook it or prepare it is that it can actually be soaked. And so you can soak it right there in the pouch uh, for about three to four hours and you'll have a, an instant ready-to-eat product. So you can eat it as trail mix in the outdoors, or you can have you know, this really nutrient-dense, um, wholesome ingredients that you can be a start to a hot meal or a you know, cold side dish for lunch or, or what will you. Um, so yeah, it can cook the microwave, stovetop, or be soaked primarily. And uh, we also have our products in bulk sizes as well for people doing longer trips or just looking to, to stock up on all at home. Makes sense. So have you guys uh, tried uh, selling this in larger grocery store chains, or have you always just kind of focused it on outdoor enthusiasts, kind of small yeah. shops? Yeah, great question. So uh, originally we did um, have a much more broader focus as far as where to launch our product and kind of how to scale the business, and we did uh, start working and getting into distributors and just uh, grocery stores, higher-end grocery stores, cooperatives, um, kind of just seeing that, you know, get in many stores, get as much volume going, and scale the company like that. Um, we realized that after about a, almost a year of pursuing that model, that the, uh, a combination of the margins that can be made uh, pursuing that model, along with the amount of education to the average grocery store shopper about our product and brand and the, the real kind of, um, values, the, the key differentiators of our product uh, to the average, average grocery shopper was just too costly and time consuming. And um, combined with during that time, we really uh, kind of found this calling just based on personal interactions, attending of some events, people just reaching out, um, you know, these outdoor enthusiasts just reaching out and telling us how passionate and excited and how much they love our product. And so that really uh, shifted our focus and kind of in the midst of this pivot to, to getting into those people who are super passionate about it and so getting into these outdoor enthusiasts. So a lot of like entrepreneurs have an idea that can take it to market, but mm -hmm. to be successful you need to actually scale appropriately. 
Mm-hmm. And you've talked a lot about your, uh, you and your family scaling the company. Mm-hmm. But the reason we connected actually was uh, through some help that you brought on. Uh, That's so right. you want to tell us about like how you know Tim and then what you guys are doing down here in Chicago? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually started what we're doing down in Chicago and how we got to Tim, but so I'll start with that. Um, in the fall, I uh, decided to apply for the Good Food Business Accelerator that runs out of 1871 and um, got through the application process and was fortunate enough to be selected to get into the uh, six-month-long uh, accelerator program that specifically focuses on scaling um, consumer packaged good companies in the kind of health food space like we are ourselves. And um, got into that, and that was just kind of a you know, huge motivational and kind of confidence boost um, to A, have these amazing resources now at hand, and B, just be third-party validated as far as like, all right, there's something here. This you know has a lot of, has a good platform base. We just really need to do a lot of work to, to get it going and scaling. And so that led me to um, realizing that as I am working a lot, kind of full-time uh, on this by myself, I have certainly my uh, Juliet and Prescott, my parents' uh, assistance along the way, but definitely not full-time, um, that I needed some more hands on deck. And so I uh, started thinking of who I knew that was uh, around me physically in Madison, and um, a great friend, Tim Flores, uh, who I've known for just over a year now through 100 State, came to mind and so kind of started having a couple meetings with him um, earlier in the fall and decided to that uh, based on his interest and also his skill set in digital marketing he's you know ran a a couple of um, very successful e-commerce type sites one specifically in food uh, called Grazen and um, a lot of the help and direction that we need to start working on is kind of our online presence and our e-commerce platform and so uh, just over a month ago, I um, decided to bring on Tim, who is now working for us part-time, but we're super excited to, to have him aboard and to be moving forward together. So what do you guys kind of expect to get out of the um, incubator down here in Chicago? Like, is it just kind of being around like-minded people, or what's kind of like the long-term goal for you? Yeah, being in yeah. That takes away from you doing the business day-to-day, I assume. That's right, that's right. No, um, a number of things. Um, one, uh, first one that comes to mind is absolutely be part of a cohort of very like-minded people and also companies, um, which just off the get-go has been very helpful and supporting. Um, as any and all entrepreneurs know, the start can be very, very hard. Uh, just having a sounding board, just having people who are going through the same struggles as you, and also just hearing you know, of all the other resources, connections, or networks that those people can bring you, and that's been fantastic. Um, two is we will be looking, we are looking to raise um, external capital in the spring. So thus far we've been completely self-funded, which has been fantastic. Um, but as we look to scale, now that we uh, have found our target market fit, um, to launch a new product line, as well as get into um, a number of, of outdoor retails and really start this thing going, we're gonna need some, some further capital. And then um, third, you know, it's uh, part of our mission to really work with uh, Native American farmers um, to source a, a good, uh, we have our goal to ultimately source 50% of our uh, ingredients from Native American farmers. And so the network that the um, organization Family Farmed, who puts on the Good Food Business Accelerator, there's a parent there, 
Um, they have just probably the most vast network of farmers in the Midwest. Um, they work with hundreds of farmers, and so to have that network is, is really, really uh, powerful for the sourcing and a number of other reasons. Um, so I'd say just, you know, that peer support, the finance, and uh, the network that comes with Family Farm are three of the big things that we're really excited about. So what are the costs to simply the foods for being a part of this incubator? You know, time and effort does, does not come free in most worlds. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so it's quite a unique model. Um, I've also done some research on accelerators in my past at Kauffman, and uh, this one is actually six months long, so it's about double as long as the average, and they do not uh, invest any capital in us, so we're not receiving any financial returns from them, and they are not receiving any equity from us. Instead, they actually take, um, I believe it's 0.025% of annual sales for the next 10 years. And so um, it's a longer term model as we grow, they grow, and we've you know, done our financial analysis and that percentage as we're, small, as we're this, this small is a very negligible amount. And I think quite well worth their time now and believe that it will be even 10 years from now as it's such a small percent of overall, overall doing. That's super interesting. Um, I know we talked about it before, but I've had more time to think about it. Is yeah. other incubators, you know, let's say they take like 10% or something, they're yep. now motivated for you to get a buyout, sell a company, etc. Yep. So they get their money back. Yep. Um, exactly. This model, you know, they're getting income for 10 years, they kind of already see their their exit on paper. And so that's something I've dealt with before, like when I'm helping with startups, like what's your exit? Like, oh, we'll just yep. like sell to like Google or Apple or something. Yeah. Okay, like what we'll do live in. But, uh, yep. <laughs> so, so it's interesting to see that. And for me, if I'm gonna pursue something and go like make a app or a creative business, like something like this I'm passionate about, why yep. would I want to sell it? Am I really that passionate about it? Or am I just passionate about the money? That's right. Yeah, that's right, it is, it is quite unique, so there, you know. It opens them to be, I'd say, a bit more like um, broadly uh, incentivized to help the companies grow, where if you're taking equity, you're typically only looking to exit through acquisition, mm-hmm. where you know having this percent sales opens to be you know excited about acquisition, but also just about continual growth. And so it's just whatever like really increases our own revenue as, a, as an entity, and um, that's pretty well tied in just about any exit strategy that you have. So. Imagine the thought process, like going through an exit where you like sell your company. You sit there, built it up with like all these people around you, and you sell. Mm-hmm. You, you go party for like a month or something. Then like, what are you gonna do with your like your life? You know, people say, right. "Go start something else." It's like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's it's difficult to get back into That's it right. and then find something else yeah, you're passionate is. about. It is. It. Uh, I think takes a lot of founders by surprise to let it be that it were acquired or or let go due to an acquisition or one of the two. Um, yeah, it certainly is a big transition that, you know, would be fascinating to face due to the fact that that would mean that we've got a comp- our company to escape <laughs> being acquired, which could be really exciting. Um, but yeah, it would be a tough situation, I agree. And the interesting thing too, a lot of people who start companies, like they more or less like don't want a boss, right? Whatever, like take the however you want is, but then once you get acquired by yep. like here in Chicago, people get acquired by Groupon like all the time, like enough companies have, right? Yep. It's like now you report yeah. to like seven bosses instead of zero. It's a way That's different right. mentality for sure. You'll be able to do whatever That's you want right. now. All of these other yeah. things are at stake. 
But if you want to understand about investors, too, it's like, you no longer can make all the decisions. You have to have them agree with you on stuff. And they're yeah. going to probably make decisions based on what's going to result in a buyout or money for them, opposed to what's, you know, it's kind of what you want to stand behind. Like, for you guys, That's you right. have, like, all these great things you're giving back, like working with uh, Native American farmers, donating 1% of profits. If, if yeah. someone had, like, equity in their company, they're like, uh, yeah, maybe we should, like, get rid of that. Man, I don't know, like... No, it's a great point. Yeah, it's... That's why, control. like, when you bring up investors, that's something that we're working on just, like, communicating what we're all about, what we stand for, and how we want this to grow to make sure that we are very thoughtful in our selection process, you know, um, of getting money, that we want to maintain these values, and uh, those do trump money in the long run, because otherwise you become something you don't want. <laughs> Um, which is not what we want to do, no one, which is what no one wants to do overall. Um, but to the point of the uh, CEO transition, I actually, um, it's been really fascinating. The mentor that I was given through this accelerator, um, his name is Scott Man Mandel, and he actually started a wonderful Chicago company, food company called Enjoy Life. And um, he ran, started that and ran it for 14 years before just last spring was acquired by Mondelez International, the world's largest bakery. And um, it's been fascinating just hearing little tidbits of his uh, experience in that process of transition where he stayed on for just a, uh, about a year and a half to kind of see the transition through and, and everything. So it's been fascinating to hear about that <laughs> in the various spaces I work. Yeah, I mean, that's good. I think he like, has a passion, and now he's kind of back into it in, like, a mentorship role. Uh, yep. So it's good that that's people right. are there. And then you hear, like, the classic phrase, zero entrepreneur. But then there's, like, people, yep. you know, I'm not dogging them, but there's, like, people like 1871 or incubators that just, like, can't hack a job after the first year. Like, ah, my boss yelled at me today because my number was a 7 and 7, 8 on this one credential. I'm going to quit, start my own company. It's like... I don't know, man. Like, you actually have to, like, go do work when you're an entrepreneur. It's not, you know, nine to five and four of those hours you're, like, on your phone texting your friends. It's like, you have to work to do it. <laughs> A ton of work. Never-ending work. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what are some of the challenges that are facing you and your company right now? We're sitting here talking about all these great successes. You guys are expanding. What are some yeah. of the challenges that you kind of face along the way? <laughs> uh -huh. um, I mean, like we just talked about, there's literally a never-ending amount of work to do. And uh, so one of them would be, you know, prioritization, making sure that the hours and time that you are investing, uh, let it be 40, 80, 100 hours a week, that you're, you're spending that time on the most crucial um, steps, the most crucial tasks, the most crucial projects. And that's been super helpful by having someone like Scott, a mentor that can help align us, some, you know, the accelerator to help us kind of guide us on that path. Um, so that's certainly one of the biggest, I mean, every day it's the challenge you face, you know, like, is this little, uh, tiny little project that you're doing actually worth your time at the moment, or is this much more difficult, larger one you need to focus on, you know, knowing what to actually be doing is always really difficult. Um, another, I would say, is really just, um, being known, you know, and starting a brand, a brand new brand, as well as kind of a, a new type of product and concept are, are two really difficult tasks at hand and so um, you know finding having found our actual target uh, market and customer is really really helpful but we're really still trying to figure out what you know what's the best way to communicate with them what's the best place to be and how, how do we um, get there the quickest and so um, really nailing that down is, is what I'm working on the current moment and you know is faced with challenges every step of the way. <laughs>
quite the interesting podcast episode, I must say myself. I actually had a chance to meet Colin through a mutual friend. Back in the day, I played a game called Magic the Gathering. Guy I met through that, and I still stayed in touch because we were both kind of business savvy, and he actually is working with Colin and connecting with Colin, so everything comes full circle. Networking at its best. <laughs> when I first heard of Simply Native Foods, I heard the tagline, Ancient Foods from Modern Times. It took me a while to wrap my head around that since I was so excited, thinking it was ancient Greek, ancient Roman, ancient Egyptian types of foods, because I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff, but what it really is, is foods that have grown here in North America to feed you the way it has been doing for years before modern times. So it's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely love this. I'm so excited for this food right now. It is for outdoor enthusiasts, which I've done a little bit myself, but mainly for the cold winter times, and it is almost Groundhog's Day. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't give your booties, because it's cold out there today. That's right, Woodchuck Archers, it's Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Hopefully you guys get that reference from the amazing movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog's Day. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at StayCall. StayCall is a social wagering app for the next generation. With StayCall, you can easily challenge your friends to games of skill, or even be a third-party judge between mutual friends. Stake your hard-earned cash, a night out in the town, or even just your dignity. They strive to be one of the most entertaining and most interactive social wagering platform on the market. StayCall is an app that you download on the App Store. Uh, right now it's on iOS only, soon to be coming into Android, where you can challenge your friends to some fun games. I've challenged some friends to a game of ping pong. I've challenged some game friends to a round of hot wing eating contests. Right now I'm in the challenge of Movember, things of that nature. Absolutely incredible. Ever have that friend that takes a bet with you and then the other doesn't want to pay up and says, bro, we never shook hands? No longer a problem with Stay Call. You can put it up on social media, share with your friends, get a third-party judge, problem solved. Check them out at staycall.io. That's S-T-A-K-E-H-A-U-L dot I-O. Or go to the iOS and iOS store and download them. Stay Call. Check it out now. This episode is sponsored by Snap Filter Place the number one designer of custom Snapchat geofilters in the U.S. This is a phenomenal product. If you are out there with Snapchat having a special event, party, wedding, birthday, who knows, whatever it is, and you need a little Snapchat filter on a location, check out Snap Filter Place. They do stuff to design your own Snapchat filter, have someone design one for you, get one for your business, or even have one for a huge conference you're attending. I personally used one for my birthday party, and it was phenomenal. People were going wild. It allowed us to connect with friends who weren't even at my party because they're out of town or busy. It's absolutely fantastic. Definitely check them out at snapfilterplace.com for your very own Snapchat geo filter. <laughs> 